Welcome from All Good Tales, it's Media Moments, a show about those strange, unique, weird and often bizarre times when the world changed forever in an instant. I'm Jack Murray. In this episode, we look at the power of live television on a night that Tommy Cooper took to the stage for the last time. Here's a media moment that changed the world forever. Since the dawn of time, the power of live entertainment has gripped and enthralled audiences. It's the connection, the energy, the excitement and the feeling of being tuned in that transfixes people. Anything can happen and sometimes anything does. This moment is about a live event. It was Sunday night, the 15th of April, 1984. Millions tuned into ITV to watch the hit variety show Live from Her Majesty's. The show was broadcast from a small theatre in London's West End. On this night, an audience of 1,200 people sat in plush red velvet seats, waiting for the show to start. Their eyes fixed on the stage, which was draped with red curtains and framed with gold statues. The cameras rolled. Host Jimmy Tarbuck took to the stage. The show was on. That's lovely. And hello at home, it's really nice. Welcome to Live from Her Majesty's. It's lovely to be back with you. We've got a show for you tonight. We've got artists and performers you've never heard of. <laughs> the first act was ever-popular comedian come magician Tommy Cooper. Earlier that day, he hadn't been feeling great, but his rehearsal went well. After a nap, his mistress Mary Fieldhouse woke him with some apple crumble. He didn't touch it. Tommy went on stage and thrilled the audience, making a stuffed dove appear in his shaking hands with much effort, and he struggled to separate metal rings in another trick. To close his set, he began one of his best-known tricks, his famous magic cloak skit. The show's host, Jimmy Tarbuck, hid out of sight under Tommy's cloak and was primed to pass him props from behind the curtain. Tommy was going to heave the succession of bizarre objects from under his gown. A paint pot, a bucket, a mannequin's leg, a ladder. Gradually the objects got bigger and bigger, until finally Jimmy himself would emerge, complaining he couldn't fit any more through. On this night, Tommy's blonde assistant helped him put a red and gold Egyptian cloak on over his black-tie tuxedo. The audience began to laugh, knowing what was coming. His assistant closed every button right to the ground. The crowd laughed louder. Tommy was ready to start. He looked out into the audience. They laughed. Then his head dipped slightly and he fell back towards the curtains, landing in a sitting position on the floor, his knees protruding through the shiny red cloak as he huffed for air. The audience laughed and cheered even louder again. His assistant looked back and smiled at him as she moved the microphone aside. Next, Tommy slumped back, his famous fez hat landing on his face as a hesitant hand of a crew member popped out from behind the curtain before retreating once again. Guffaws and cackles erupted once again as Tommy made snore-like sounds on the floor. But this wasn't part of the act. Suddenly, the orchestra erupted into music and the cameras moved across the audience as the show went to ads.
From the very start, it was as if Tommy Cooper couldn't escape the life of an entertainer. He got his first taste for show business at just eight years of age, when his aunt brought him a magic set. Young Tommy was hooked and spent hours perfecting his tricks. Thomas Frederick Cooper was born in the small mining town of Carfilly in South Wales on March 19, 1921. He lived there with his father, a former sergeant turned coal miner, and his mother. To escape the smog-polluted air of Carfilly, his father took a job in Exeter. They moved there when Tommy was three. This is how he picked up his distinctive accent, a lifelong trademark. Does my voice sound a little bit hoarse? It does a bit, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, I lost my voice completely yesterday. And the one I got now, I just borrowed for this lunch. <laughs> After school, Tommy became an apprentice shipwright. But in 1940, soon after the war erupted, he was called to serve in the army. During this time, he was stationed in Egypt and became a member of the army's entertainment party. It was here that his voice as an entertainer emerged and he developed his unique act of magic tricks interspersed with comedy. One evening in Cairo, he began a joke where he was supposed to wear a pith helmet, but he had forgotten the prop. Instead, he borrowed a fez or tarbouche hat from a passing waiter. After that, it became part of his signature. There was something very, very funny about Tommy Cooper. During his time entertaining the troops, he made a discovery. Despite his love of magic, he realised that when he botched a trick, he always received a better reaction. He continued with this act, but would impress backstage with his genuine tricks. In 1948, he appeared on the BBC's New To You. Viewers loved his bumbling persona, and this marked the start of a 40-year television career. He regularly appeared on variety shows, and soon had a show of his own. Ladies and gentlemen, Tommy Cooper. <laughs> I was sunbathing this morning, and I was lying in the park, and a little boy crept across to me, and he poured something all over my back. He said, this will make you brown. I said, what is it? He said, gravy. However, there was a dark side to Tommy Cooper too. In 1946, Tommy met and married his wife Gwen, who he called Dove. They had two children together. Gwen once said, There's one trick Tommy can do really well, and that's making drink disappear. Just before the show, the producer said to me, he said, How are you tonight? I said, Well, I'm feeling a little bit funny. He said, Well, get out there before it wears off. Tommy initially drank to give him confidence for the stage, but by the mid-70s, it had become a heavy habit. Jimmy Tarbuck recalls Tommy's serious side. He didn't like people laughing at him all the time. I mean, I remember um, we played at a golf club and he said to the steward, I'll have a kid in Tommy. I, I can't do impressions, but it was something like that. And the fellow went, <laughs> yes, Mr. Good. He went, what are you laughing at? Tommy's drinking began to seriously affect his work and family life. At home, he hit his wife. While on stage, he became unreliable often messing up performances unintentionally and sometimes not showing up at all. Bob Potter recalls booking Tommy for shows at his club. I used to prepare myself for Tommy Cooper to arrive, try and get some early nights in before Tommy comes, because I know directly Tommy comes, there's no sleep. He wanted to be anywhere where he was enjoying himself. If he could put his hand out and drink what he wanted, uh, and he could, he could give you a drink when you came in, whatever you wanted. Uh, he, he, that was his pleasure. It was a social part of his life. Tommy was also a heavy smoker, smoking up to 40 cigars a day. He suffered from many ailments, including chronic bronchitis. 
However, after suffering a heart attack while performing in Rome in 1977, he cut down on both his drinking and smoking. When Tommy cut down, his performances improved, but he never stopped drinking. One night on an appearance with Michael Parkinson, he forgot to set the safety catch on a guillotine trick and would have injured Parkinson if it weren't for the intervention of a floor manager. Let's return to where we left Tommy Cooper, on stage at Her Majesty's Theatre London on the 15th of April, 1984. He had been in the middle of his magic cloak trick and he had stumbled back on the floor. His fez hat landed on his face. After initially thinking he was playing for laughs, they realised this wasn't in the script. Something was wrong, very wrong. Onlookers, including his wife, who was watching on TV at home in Chiswick, and his mistress Mary, who was standing in the wings. The show's producer cut to an ad break. They quickly dragged Tommy's heavy six-foot-three frame behind the curtains. Everyone suddenly realised it wasn't a gag. Tommy had had a massive heart attack and wasn't responding. But the show was live and had to go on. Jimmy Tarbuck introduced the next act with Tommy's size 13 shoes protruding beneath the curtain's gold fringe. It was a live television show and um, they administered the kiss of life. And he was there while the next two acts were performing. Then a commercial break came in. Les Dennis and Dustin G went on next, doing impressions of Carnation Street's Mavis and Vera, while in the dark behind the curtain, they were making desperate attempts to revive Tommy. Hey, Mavis, you all right, kid? <laughs> don't really know. Yeah. It wasn't until the second commercial break that an ambulance took Tommy to Westminster Hospital, where he was pronounced dead on arrival. His death wasn't officially reported until the next morning, but the incident was on the news bulletin immediately following the show. Fellow comedians have been paying tribute to the late Tommy Cooper, who died after appearing on stage at a London theatre. Tommy Cooper died as he lived, making people laugh live on stage. He was a master of the fine arts of live performance. He knew the secret. Anything could happen. Really, anything could happen. And his death, live on air, proved that sometimes anything does. Media Moments is brought to you by All Good Tales. There's only one way to resonate, and that's with a story. If you need to connect with your audience, we can help you. We help people tell great stories through podcasts, brand newsrooms, PR, presentations and strategy. Find us on at All Good Tales on Twitter or email story at allgoodtales.com. Media Moments can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Pocket Casts and anywhere you get your podcasts. This episode was written by Louisa McGrath and me, Jack Murray. Production and research was by Anna Henderson and sound supervision was by Al Dunn at Unique Media. Join us next week when we look at the story of how Ireland's economic fate was sealed when the bankers came calling at our door. <laughs>